Welcome to a special episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, we're presenting a bonus episode dealing with coronavirus. Normally, we're heard on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This episode will be played on various podcast apps and at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. And today, we wanted to do something a little bit different. We were going to have just kind of a fireside chat about the impacts of the coronavirus with your three favorite Dr. Doctor co-hosts. <laughs> so I thought first we'd start with, since we're doctors, how are your practices different than they were two months ago? Andrew, let's start with you. Man, that's a, that's the the overarching thing, I guess, is, is how it's affected the practice, just because everything I think is different. Um, two months ago, I never thought I would probably ever do telemedicine. I thought people wouldn't want it. And I know insurance companies didn't want to reimburse for those services. But now the way our practice is set up is I'm doing mostly full-time telemedicine now. Wow. And uh, so what's that like? I don't love it. Tell you the truth. I don't know <laughs> how, how you guys feel. Um, you know, it's the convenience is awesome. And that's the one thing that I've heard from multiple patients is that, wow, this is too easy. Uh, almost implying they're going to seek out additional medical care because of the convenience of it. Huh. Um, but on, on our side, it's challenging because we're, we're kind of cutting corners, I think, with our lack of physical exam. I mean, you're getting suboptimal medical evaluation because I can't look in anybody's ears. I can't listen to their lungs. Um, you know, they try and show you a rash. You're like, uh, <laughs> is that a bump or is it flat? I can't, you can't yeah. see. Yeah. The, the resolution isn't that great. That's what we have found. Agreed. Yeah, it's I, effectively, I mean, it's, it's like a phone conversation and maybe you can get a general gestalt of, you know, are they sick or healthy? You can probably get that through telemedicine, but, um, otherwise, uh, and then now you don't have any, at least for myself, I don't have anybody prepping the charts for me, which it, you, you grow in appreciation for all the medical assistants and nurses and everybody who helps make daily life run smoothly because now we're going through, okay, we're going to start with med rec. We're going to go through, make sure you don't have new allergies and everything. So it's uh the process is onerous, but I, I think patients have appreciated it. Chris, what would yeah, you say? Good, good points. All I think we've experienced that we do a fair amount of telemedicine, but we have before the pandemic for out-of-town patients uh, in my practice because of the nature of, of my practice being mostly fertility. So that wasn't a big thing for us to change. But what's really different around our office is we have only pregnant patients there for the most part now. So, you know, pregnancy has marched on independent of the pandemic um, even, Imagine that. <laughs> even the nation's governors couldn't shut down pregnancy. <laughs> and so our, our pregnant visits have continued as per always, but our non-pregnant visits are just gone. And so uh, that's been a big dynamic uh, change in the office for us. And I think overall, probably like in every office, there's just a feeling of kind of weirdness uh, that patients sort of don't want to be there. We sort of don't want to be there. Nobody wants to be in this public building where people are coming and going and coughing and sneezing all the time. 
And uh, that's a weird feeling. I, I think that's probably the most impressive thing uh, for me. Just the overall feel is different. And what do you think has happened to all these patients who normally would have come in? Have medical problems stopped? Or do you think that there's a lot of people out there suffering, but they're more afraid of coming in than they are of dealing with their medical problems? I think that's a great question. And I think there's another option that we should put on there, and that is economically they've decided it can just wait. Ah. Uh, they're, they're economically worried. Uh, maybe they're having intense knee pain, but they're thinking, oh, the knee pain's not that bad, and I don't know if I'll have my health insurance, uh, or I don't know if I'll have a paycheck next month. Uh, and so I think they're choosing, they're voting themselves out economically. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I'd, I'd second that just from conversations I've had with folks, because even even the folks that do seek out care, they are much more cost conscious, uh, where I, I might recommend kind of a preferred line of treatment. They're like, ah, or I want, I got to hold on that because of money. Um, let's do something else first. And so I, I think that's a downstream effect health wise that we've probably only begun to start to see. I didn't realize um, naively, I guess, in Northeastern Indiana, how many of our patients were involved in manufacturing in some way or another. And uh, so every patient visit, I've always said, how's the pandemic affecting, you know, you and your spouse. And the, the, the common thing that I'm hearing is, well, my husband hasn't worked, uh, whether it's automotive manufacturing or the, the giant RV production facilities in Northern Indiana, there's a lot of manufacturing in Indiana. And, uh, and we certainly have come to appreciate that, I think, now. But that's really, really tough on families. Yeah, I have a lot of patients in manufacturing, too. And, uh, you know, many of my patients are men, unlike yours, Chris. So I have discovered that. But it's amazing how many have still been working. But it's amazing how many are not. And now here in Indiana, uh, we start to loosen up. We actually did start to loosen up this week. They said all medical visits were back on the table, all procedures. So I assume you started doing things in the hospital that you hadn't been doing for a while, Chris? We did. Um, our hospital, our local hospital, definitely took an incremental approach at reopening, I think, in an effort to prevent sort of a bottleneck of, of demand. Uh, and then in the weeks ahead, it's going to open up a little more. Um, so we're not at 100% open, but certainly not where we were locked down with no elective surgeries and things like that. Andrew, did you do any more procedures this week than you did the week before? Yeah, you know, the in our office, so much of our stuff is chronic medical care and uh, and well child checks for children and stuff. So much of that in, in our mind was always to be continued. We don't want kids skipping out on vaccines. We don't want diabetics skipping their insulin, but patients self-selected uh, out during the pandemic. Yes. Now the hospitals have opened us up. I did a couple colonoscopies this week, but I got to tell you, I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I, I feel like the, at least the different hospitals that I've talked to, everybody's going full speed ahead with things to try and stop the spread of coronavirus. And mm. I get the instinct kind of the feeling that we still don't really know what we're doing as to how to stop the spread so that we're going to do everything and hope so like in in between our colonoscopies uh we've had folks who who tested for coronavirus and tested negative before they were allowed to be scheduled um but then we still have to leave the room empty for a half an hour in between cases which doesn't sound that burdensome but when you have like a seven minute 
upper endoscopy or even like a, a 15 minute colonoscopy, then you got to everybody hurry up and wait for a half an hour. I mean, that's going to have a lot of downstream effects. What's on... the rationale for that? Well, that's that's kind of the instinct I get from from even a lot of our public health leaders is that there's still a lot of caution. Uh, and so we're just doing everything we can possibly think of to prevent the spread. I'm not I'm not sure I'd, I'd even ascribe to a rationale. <laughs> I just, I, I think we're going to just put tap the brakes as hard as we can, see what happens. I call it seems like prevention. It seems like a good idea, so let's do it. Um, we don't have data. We don't have experience. Nobody wants to be too casual. So if somebody suggests 30 minutes for the air to clean and clear in a room, it's hard to argue against it. Yeah, it, it makes you appear that uh, you're cavalier or you just don't don't really care about it. But I, I think a lot of people might be confusing motion with action. Yeah. And uh, the idea <laughs> doing more is not necessarily uh, working better in any now, way. Now, Andrew, you talk a lot about preventive medicine in your practice, and, and I do to a degree as well. Um, I felt a little silly sometimes the last couple of weeks talking about prevention. And I would talk to a patient and say, you know, you're 50, you should have your first colonoscopy. And not uncommonly, the patient sort of looked at me and said, people are dying of COVID virus. Why should I care about a colonoscopy? And maybe not in those exact words, but there was this feeling of we're in the midst of battle. You shouldn't be thinking about what's happening after the battle. Have you experienced any of that? I, I definitely have, you know, and I, I've seen it the most, even with like routine lab work, you know, where people say, you know, they're under the impression it is not safe to go get my labs drawn. I said, well, your last A1C was 11. So um, I think it, the the risk of COVID is much lower than your known diabetes. Or I had one guy the other day present with uh, new onset angina, and he's just been going without because he's afraid oh, no. to go to the hospital. Yeah. And uh, it kind of makes me think, you know, the the messaging either from kind of the media sources or even public health sources. Like, I, I don't think we've put enough emphasis on the fact that normal medical care is still very important and you can't go without, um, out of fear of coronavirus because there's, there's now even growing evidence that maybe coronavirus isn't as bad as we thought it might be. We know that A1C of 11 is terrible. <laughs> Well, moving on from our medical practices, and uh, you know, for me, uh, my volume was down uh, almost half, uh, but I think May could be even worse because I re rely on uh, referrals, uh, and not having enough to do is uh, a bad thing around my house. But <laughs> be that as it may, how about our faith lives? You know, I just saw a study released this morning, and this morning is Saturday, May 2nd, Feast of St. Athanasius. It was a study by uh, the research group Pew, P-E-W, that does a number of, um, <laughs> appropriately so, uh, religious-based studies, Pew, religion, anyway. So they said that in this one study, 27% of Catholics said their faith has grown stronger during the pandemic without access to Mass and the sacraments. 35% it hadn't changed much, and only 2% said it had weakened. How do you guys fall on that continuum, and what has been your faith experience? That's a good question. I, I'm, I, really, miss, uh, I really miss our faith, uh, and I miss the demonstrable parts of it. I miss going to Mass. I, I miss confession. I miss, um, I miss seeing all of those families that we're so accustomed to seeing uh, at least once a week uh, at Mass. And I think it surprises me a bit how much I miss it. You know, it sort of has to be gone for you to 
appreciate how much you um, you know you enjoy it. Um, I don't I don't think my faith has changed, but maybe my happiness with all things faith is down because I miss the public parts uh, of our mm-hmm. faith. I think it has been a good reminder for all of us that um, we really are a communal people and we're created to be in communion with one another. And when you, when you have to stop that, uh, you know, there's so many great examples of when you, when you mess with natural order, things become disordered and uh, communing and being with one another and uh, public worship and adoration we're designed for that. And then when we don't do that, it creates a friction and a dissonance within us. Uh, I think we've seen that um, all across the continuum from medical care and, and elsewhere. And, and Andrew, how is it for you, especially with uh, so many young children? Oh yeah, it's definitely, uh, I know for myself, I've, I've definitely grown a deeper appreciation of the blessings of having routine access to the sacraments. I've, I've felt a new solidarity with people in, in distant uh, kind of um, rural parts of the world where they might not get to be able to go to mass weekly or might not have a priest for confession. You know, uh, it's been it's been interesting in the Malali house because actually, as we record this tomorrow, we were supposed to have a first communion. Ah, yes. First Sunday of May, tabled, of course. You know. Uh, we did have kind of a really cool experience. We we got first confession for my my oldest son, and so the the parish has been able to move through with those on a one kid at a time basis. So that made for a, a unique first confession experience. Yes. But uh, you know the kids, I'm I'm hoping we, you work so hard to get them to sit still in church. I hope they remember. You know, <laughs> we we've definitely been doing a lot more stuff at home, really prioritizing. Uh, family prayer and the rosary more so than even before. And uh, my wife has incorporated, we homeschool, she's incorporated the television mass into the daily routine where sometimes it's hard to get to mass during the week because you got to get all the kids dressed, get them up, get them to the church, get them. And she's kind of fighting on her own when I'm at work. Um, But at home, you know, we've got on television now. So I, I have a feeling we've, we've learned some new adaptive behaviors that probably are going to stick around after this. What, like the television mass? I think so. And I think the kids are appreciating that faith is a priority and it's more than just something you have to do on Sunday. So I know hope, hopefully one of the things we've, we've discussed as a family is trying to continue with the daily rosaries. It was kind of nice. That was one of our things for Lent is prioritizing a daily family mm-hmm. rosary. And uh, we were doing okay. And then the coronavirus made it even easier. Yes. <laughs> so I'm hoping that that is something that sticks for us going forward. Yeah, we've gotten uh, a lot of um, a lot more Lent than we bargained for this year, haven't we? You know, something else I've noticed that it's interesting how um, Sunday is so important in the, in the marking of the week and the pace of the week. Um, and with Sunday no longer being... Uh, Sunday, it's changed my sense of week and my sense of schedule and uh, how things start. And Monday doesn't feel as first of the week as it used to. It feels more like just another day of the week. And, and I'm I'm surprised by how um, how integral the Sunday is in setting the week's calendar. And I look oh. forward to getting back to that. I really miss that. Well, it's interesting. Just now, as we're recording this episode. Um, Dr. 
Paul Carson is listening to the episode that uh, Chris and I taped two nights ago with Paul Cieslak. And so he's got some answers, some updates to stuff. They were wondering about uh, UV contamination. They're working on that. But the go really good news is, hot off the presses, is Oxford University is working on a vaccine. It's already been proven to be protective in macaque monkeys. That is incredibly fast. Yeah, uh, that, this will be a world record uh, vaccine production. Oh, my God. Yeah, Operation Warp Speed, I heard they're calling it. Uh, and maybe that's an answer to prayer, back to faith. You, you know, in our family, uh, it's like, like at your houses, we have like our own little congregation, our own little domestic church. There's seven in our house. What are there, eight in your house right now, Andrew? And, and how many in yours, Chris? It varies, uh, but three there's generations. a lot. Yeah, there, there's a lot. <laughs> so it, it's actually kind of wonderful having a little domestic church around. And yes, the same with the televised masses. And we've all actually sought out twice and scheduled confession appointments with our pastor, which he has been ecstatic to extend in a very safe way in a large room where we're kind of across the room from him and where no one else can see him. But uh, yeah, we've been doing regular, you know, uh, novena prayers, uh, daily, uh, what is it, Chaplet Divine Mercy, uh, the Regina Chaley before meals. Uh, so I think uh, we've just kind of continued as is, you know, in a homeschooling family, like Andrew knows, a lot of things haven't changed. Uh, do we just, you know, puddle on, piddle on uh, some of their outside activities? And yes, homeschoolers actually get outside activities. Uh, they've had to shut down. And for my more gregarious uh, son, that has been a real challenge. I mean, he's willing to go anywhere. He'll, he's willing to go somewhere else to watch the grass grow if he can get out of the house. <laughs> you know, something we've noticed, and we do have a crowd. Uh, so my patients know that I have two grandmothers that live with us. And then my college kids are home from college. Uh, and then they tend to, to bring bodies with them in the equation. So the math gets complicated pretty quickly. But every evening has felt like a Christmas vacation or a spring break sort of evening. And I found that there's a, a lot more times where the family's sitting around, maybe watching a good movie together, maybe playing a game or just having a great argument. Uh, <laughs> others would call that conversation. Um, <laughs> but we do that more in the pandemic than we did pre-pandemic. And then the final analysis, I think that'll go in the positive column of good things that have come out of the pandemic. I don't think our family is alone and that of gaining an appreciation for family. And uh, it, it's taken us back a little bit. Uh, it's too bad we had to have a pandemic to remind us that it's good to spend time together as a family. Uh, but that has been really positive. I've enjoyed it. So that's a great segue into the question about how our home life has changed with these orders and, and what might we keep. Andrew, what do you think? Uh, you mentioned already the TV masses. What do you think you've learned that you don't want to change from the sheltering in place? You know, it's it's interesting. So my my oldest is is just about to turn nine here. And um, <clears throat> we've been getting into more of the extracurricular activities, which are important. And the kids love every single one of them. But gee whiz, we got a, a calendar on the wall that we write down all the stuff every month. And this month had Easter and somebody's birthday and that's it. And man, that was so freeing. I mean, I, I Veronica, my wife, she's a social butterfly. And so she loves getting out and I'm always signing up for stuff and I love getting out, but man, it, it has been so nice to have the evenings where we can just have a family meal say the rosary and be together. And I, I think the thing I've realized is I've got to make a conscious effort to carve that out because 
Otherwise, it, I think it'd be too easy to go back to something every night. And that's, uh, that's how we've been living. It wasn't bad, but I think we've developed a new appreciation for, you know, you, there's really so much good that comes from being at home with the family. I agree. Well, one of the things I still haven't resolved yet is I like that freeing sense. That I don't have too much to do. I need to have enough to do and trying to figure out what that enough level is for extra activities for each of us is so hard to figure out. But I know that I've liked ramping back because, you know, you know, I was going to ask you guys how many meetings and trips have had to be canceled for you so far. I, I've got, I'm at seven so far, you know, either where I'm speaking uh, or learning or participating in a board meeting. And I feel kind of bad about some like the big family trip to Europe to see the Oberammergau Passion Play, especially. But the rest of them, you know, life didn't end. Uh, I don't know if if you guys have figured out what you're going to cut out so that you can have more of the type of time you've had. But if you have any wisdom, I'd love to know it. Yeah, I don't have any wisdom at all, especially on that. But the um, we've canceled a lot of trips. And I'm like you, the world's, the sun comes up each morning. <laughs> yes. Um, we did have a really fun trip planned uh, as a family over spring break that we canceled. Although we uh, we had a great spring break, just hanging around as a family and doing some family chores and some uh, some some DIY projects, which were a lot of fun that I honestly don't think we would have done had we not had the pandemic. People would have been their separate ways. Um, so, yeah, that has been fun. One thing that absolutely needs to change after the pandemic in our family is um, since the pandemic has started every Saturday morning, we have massive family house cleaning. And um, I think that needs to go away immediately. It's, I, think, um, I don't think it's safe. I think it's got a lot of risk and, and we need to stop that. Um, so that's on the other list that goes away post pandemic. But it, we are recording on Saturday morning. So is it going on around you right now, Chris? No, you would hear if it were going on around <laughs> me. Um, usually the complaints you would hear from the participants in the uh, in the cleaning project. Uh, so it hasn't it hasn't started just yet. Mm. And I see behind you that you have a a uh, a furry person on a sofa. Now, does she or he contribute to the cleaning or the messing? That's our dog, Chloe. She definitely contributes not to the cleaning, but she contributes to the need for the cleaning. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's our, our golden doodle who follows me wherever I go. Yeah, it's nice to be loved. So, uh, <laughs> Andrew, have you had many things canceled? You know, not really, thank goodness. Um, we nature i think a little bit of family medicine is that the summer is slow everybody's at the lake and nobody's in school mixing up and getting sick so we have a lot of our kind of downtime uh planned in the summer and so we're kind of in a, this weird holding pattern where we try and spend a little time with both in-laws you know each summer and we've got those marked on the calendar first one's the first week of June. So I've got a month. I'm like, oh man, it might still work out. It depends, I guess, how the next couple of weeks go. So I'm, I'm holding out hope, but uh, things like our, you know, our mid-year meeting for the CMA, that got canceled. I always love going to that. Well, it's going to be a virtual meeting this year. Okay. Uh, well, on that we'll, Saturday. Yep. We'll, we'll see how it goes. It'll be nice to interact with everybody, but I, I always love the CMA mid-year meeting because it's, it is for me. It's like my my main retreat every year exactly. at the annual conference, and so I find it as a feeling a spiritual need for me. And so, um, 
I'm, I'm excited that we'll still be able to interact, but that type of stuff, you know, professional stuff, everything's been totally postponed. And so hopefully, I don't know, I'm, I'm in the group that I will be so happy when things get back to normal. I'll be happy when I can shake somebody's hand again. I don't know when <laughs> that is, but uh, I think that we do lose something from the social distancing because, you know, we, especially I, I think as Catholics, everything is very physical as well. Um, even in our worship, you know, even with the Eucharist. And there is something about when you're physically distant, I think there's a, a, an emotional distance that grows. And I think that would be bad for it to be the new normal. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get back to the old distancing sometime. <laughs> you know, I keep asking people <clears throat> what they would suggest as an alternative to uh, the handshake, because, you know, probably... If, as long as it's been around, it's been spreading disease. And there's so many cultures that don't do the handshake. Uh, of course, you've got the Latin Americans who do the, the big hugs and, or the kissing on both cheeks and the Italians and that, which is even less distant than the handshake. I don't know what we go back to. And I don't know how fast most people are going to be uh, willing to do that. But, you know, uh, we would it, it, let's say we were to ban handshakes uh, forever. We would still put our hands on computer keyboards which are some of the nastiest places in, in all of creation uh, or uh, on countertops uh, or on buggies uh, in the grocery store. And I mean, who pumps gas here? You know, <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm sure handshakes are the only problem, but it, but it makes me think of uh, a lot of, we'll get questions a lot in pregnancy. Do I have to microwave all of my lunch meats and do I have to not eat this and not eat that? And, and I tend to try to advise patients, you know, we, we are designed as humans uh, to live and we're not all of that fragile. And so um, we've survived this pandemic. We will survive the next one. Um, but we may just have to hug each other and recognize that sometimes we transmit infectious diseases that way. But on balance, it might just be worth it because to not do that would make us less human. Uh, maybe more sterile, but less human. I'm not sure I'm willing personally to give that up. Right. We <clears throat> we are healthy so that we may live. We don't live to be healthy. Well, and um, we've talked on the show about the dangers sometimes of too much technology, right? The increased social isolation and anxiety mm -hmm. and depression as it it lines up right with smartphone prevalence. You know, we've seen those yes. graphs before. And uh, I wonder if this would be in the same thing. If you if you do get too socially isolated, I don't think it's good for the spirit. I don't think it's good for my spirit. Mm. No, and it's not good for the health either. In fact, I've just researched uh, dozens of articles on that and have written it up along with uh, Paul Carson and uh, Tony Flood. And uh, no, it's whether or not, and it doesn't matter if you feel lonely. Just being socially isolated has a ton of health impacts. You know, thinking so, specifically on our faith, um, I can't think of how many times I've uh, been reluctant to go to mass, but went because it's my duty to go. And then something happens there that changes my whole perspective. I saw another family, I saw a child, uh, I saw a friend, uh, or I heard something in the homily that completely reversed my frame of mind and mood that day. Without those personal interactions, we, we cut ourselves off from that opportunity. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's why I think we're so called a communion. It's a, it's a communal existence, and we have to get back to that. We're, yeah, it's, we're, we're made for it. It's not because God needs us to be there. It's because we need to be there. <laughs> uh, 
So let's say we've talked about that. Oh, family members who don't live with us or friends who don't live with us. How has your communication with those who are not nearby changed during this pandemic? For instance, I have a, a father who's in a nursing home, and so they have been isolated for seven or eight weeks now. And for the first time ever, uh, they have uh, FaceTime set up. We can just call the nursing station directly, and then they'll bring down a, an iPad to them. It, it's been wonderful. Oh, that's really neat. See, some things like that they could keep around. I'd be on mm -hmm. board with that. It's it's interesting. I, I guess at Chris, everybody lives there, so there's no distant relatives. <laughs> well, interestingly, but, I do. I do. My father is in a nursing home in Western Kentucky, and when I've checked in with him uh, and I ask him how are things, he usually just responds and says it's prison. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, he did point out that the nursing home staff has sort of gone overboard at uh, at trying to be nice to them and check on them and just sit with them and interact. Uh, I think the staff is probably, you know, lonely, like the patients are as well. And then, of course, in nursing homes, the staff are all afraid they'll bring the virus in and infect right. their residents. Um, but I think it's been it's been really hard on uh, assisted living and uh, in places like that, it's been really, really hard on. Yeah, I, I've noticed that, you know, we've definitely done more of the FaceTime type mm -hmm. conversations or the Zoom meetings, that type of thing. But the thing that stuck out to me the most, I mean, we all our family lives out of town. So we're, we're kind of isolated uh, logistically. And so we always try and prioritize times to go see them for a, a day or two days. And we found ourselves wanting to go see him every weekend <laughs> because every weekend is totally empty and that is so rare. And so it's, uh, I, I think kind of like the sacraments, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And so I think it, it has helped me just take a pause and, and hopefully move forward with, with better priorities, carving out things that uh, are of newfound importance. We've done a lot of extra episodes for the first time for podcast only to help keep listeners up to speed on so many aspects of this pandemic. What have been your personal favorite insights that you've gleaned in doing these episodes? You know, I've enjoyed the chance to remind people um, just some of the, the basic science. Uh, I still surprise people when I say to them, you realize you're masking to protect the person next to you, not to protect yourself. Uh, and that, that shocks people every time I say that to patients or others. And, and it's important because they think they're protecting themselves and right. they, might, they might participate in maybe an unsafe behavior because they have a mask on. Yes. Uh, because it seems like that would be protective. I think that's been one of the better messages we've been able to get out there. And it's kind of the same message in that old episode we did with Paul Carson on uh, vaccines possibly being a moral duty of Catholics, because oftentimes when we become vaccinated, we're doing more to protect others who are at risk than ourselves. So to me, it seems like a similar principle. And I love the way that you're bringing that home to your patients. I hope that next flu season, we see uh, we're just overwhelmed with people demanding their flu shot. Um, because as you point out, Tom, uh, vaccination for the flu, as an example, has really nothing to do with you. Uh, it's about those people around you that might be susceptible. Uh, and I think as a society, we've learned a lot about who those people are. Now it's pretty common knowledge to understand that. And it's the same for run-of-the-mill seasonal influenza. And so 
you might be protecting your grandparents' life by getting that pesky flu shot at Dr. Mullally's office. Uh, and so I, I hope we've, we've learned that lesson. It, it will be interesting to see if we have. Yeah, I think, I definitely think that the whole pandemic informs the way we think of infectious disease and public health and, and vaccines have always been a subject of controversy for, for many reasons, um, some good reasons. Uh, but I, I do think that this is gonna give everybody pause and maybe time to reconsider that you know, I've, I've really liked the podcasts insofar as we can, I think for the first time, we've really gotten to look at coronavirus from a lot of different angles, you know, um, especially there's a lot of times when we're talking about something, I say, Ooh, I, I would really like to see what this specialist thinks about that. Or I wish we could get an economist to come in and tell us something, or, I, you know, if only we could have somebody on speed dial who's an expert in public health and helps make decisions for their state uh, or two of them. And so <laughs> we, right. we have been, I don't know, part of the thing that I really love about Dr. Doctor is it's just so nice and uh, a little bit selfishly for me to get to talk to all these people and learn so much that I would not have otherwise. And really it, it broadens my mind because I grow for a different appreciation of the different angles um, cause everybody sees it a little bit differently and, you know, we're, we're a both and, uh, people, you know what I mean? And yes. so the, the more angles we get, I think it informs a correct view of the world. And, and we've got to experience that with the podcast for coronavirus, really kind of squaring up to it. And, yeah. uh, I found that helpful. And in fact, for our listeners, we're trying to figure out how we can be more, um, timely if something else comes up in the future, especially for the weekend episodes, because we typically tape those a month or more in advance. So you may see changes over the next six months as we try to get uh, more, I don't know what the, the right word is, but we want to respond more. It's hard when we have a weekly show and the radio station or the radio network needs things so many days in advance but we're trying to work that out and if you have ideas for us please email us you know go to our website redeemerradio.com forward slash doctor there's a place that you can make comments this might be a good time also to give a little shout out to our producer andrea oh andrea um, serrani she is wonderful yeah she's uh in the background working overtime to help make sure everything that we record gets put on the air and there's a lot that goes into that. And so I know the last month she's been doing way more than before. And Andrea, we really appreciate it. Couldn't do it without you. Amen. Andrea, thank you for all your work and dedication. Yeah. And she's at home with two kids under five. And uh, she usually responds within hours of getting a new uh, episode and gets it up and ready and makes us sound better than we deserve. Uh, so what final comments do each of you have on, on the pandemic as... Uh, it's hopefully winding down as states start to open up. This doesn't mean it's the end. I'm sure there'll be plenty more to say about it, but what would you like to leave listeners with now? Uh, Chris? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's worth reminding ourselves that um, A, we're not alone in this and that there are a lot of people dealing with the pandemic in a lot of different ways. Uh, and many of them are really hurting in, in silence. Um, because of the social aspects, we don't necessarily see their pain and suffering, but there are many people who haven't worked uh, for weeks and weeks. Uh, there are many people who are wondering how they're going to make their mortgage. Uh, 
uh, and their rent and buy their food. And it's, it's easy to think that doesn't exist, uh, but it does exist. Those people are, are among us and we may not even realize it. So um, we need to pray for them and we need um, to be on the watch for opportunities to help uh, even when not necessarily ask because uh, the, the, the pandemic may be peaking, but the pain and suffering I think is going to be with us for a while. A delayed response. Andrew. Yeah. A- amen to that, Chris. I think, uh, I think what we've been through with the pandemic, I hope not, but I'm afraid that in, in final analysis, it might be less painful than what we may go through economically over the next six months. So amen to all that, you know, to, to have a unique point, I, I would say that I'd encourage everyone to continue to grow in humility because that's something that I've, I've found through this pandemic. Um, and you can kind of see it in our, in our podcasts as well, where the first week we were so confident as to <laughs> what was going to yes. help and what wasn't going to help. And then as you see in the news, the different treatments, uh, this is clearly it. That's clearly not it. You know, the masks back and forth on, on the masks and everything. And I, I grow so much when, when I have little moments like this in medicine, there is so much about medicine that we do not understand. And so my, my theory with, with that and, and about everything else is you try and do the simple stuff, the stuff you're confident in really well and, uh, and hold a, a good deal of humility as to what we may or may not know and uh, be prepared to change moving forward. And so that's something that I, I would like to leave. And then also maybe, you know, Tom, you had hinted at an, an article you're writing about the, yes. the cure. Where can we find that? Well, uh, we're actually working on it right now, but it's for the Lineker Quarterly. The working title is COVID-19, is the treatment worse than the disease? A Thomistic Analysis. Uh, the Thomistic part is, of course, Thomas Aquinas. And we have a philosopher as one of the authors with that Paul Carson knows, so the three of us. So as soon as it's available, uh, we will let you know. Uh, because uh, most of the people we've talked to believe that the downstream effects of the social distancing are going to be far more severe than perhaps the lives saved um, through this. Uh, so we're really trying to figure out how would we analyze what to do if there are future spikes in coronavirus or if there are future new new pandemics. Uh, so I appreciate you asking. Um, and thank you for our listeners for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor. We are the official podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. And as always, we'd ask you to please share this good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend uh, and family and convince them to listen and let us know what you think about the show. Yeah, and you can find us on your favorite podcast app or at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor. 
abortion, pornography, embryonic stem cell research, corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not, and their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.